You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Uh, so we uh, are starting a new series uh, on Genesis. I don't know how long we're going to go. There's 50 chapters, so next year or two? No, uh... I'll try to keep it brief and hit the highlights, but I've been wanting to do this forever since the beginning. I think it's such a profound story for us. Uh, and so, as always, I welcome your questions. I want to turn this monologue into a dialogue. This is, we're a community. I know there's a lot of me just talking, but if you have any questions, I have my f- text receiver. That is it, the phone number. I should get it here. You can yell them out at this point. Um, because I'm really interested in what, you, uh, what, you're, what you're hearing, what you're saying. So let me pull up my text in case any come through. I'll try to answer them in real time or at the end. Some questions you might have that I'm not going to hit very hard, but are usually prevalent in the text, right? Are like, uh, what about other creation stories from the wrong wor- around the world? Almost every culture has these. Uh, evolution, six days, young earth, old earth, climate change. Uh, the names of God in this passage changed quite a bit. Why is the word our when God talks? Why is God talking in, in uh, multiple personalities here? Uh, what are our Jewish cousins? Uh, how do they understand these texts? And do they understand them differently? And uh, what was that one? What was their view of the earth again? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about their view of the earth a little bit, but not a lot. Sea monsters, you know, that's always nice. That's always good. So if you have any of those questions, send them or anything else. I don't want to assume. But as always, let's start with a story. We'll get into the problems. I think the problem for me is that when I read this story in the past, especially as a new Christian, I spent so much time trying to reconcile what was being told to me in my scriptures with what I was learning about at school. And then on top of that, I had a bunch of adults that were like, this is a really big issue. You need to figure out how to reconcile what's being told to you in your scripture with what's happening uh, in your classroom. And so whenever I read this story, I was constantly doing this gymnastics. And then after going to school and studying this over and over again, I realized, and what I put in the beginning uh, intro bumper video, is that they're telling different stories. And I missed the scriptural story because I was so concerned with the worldly story And so uh, the scriptural story is answering and asking its own questions. And so what is important for us as people of faith is to figure out what questions it's asking and what questions it's answering and listen to that. And man, when I did that, I was so much freer to enjoy the story that scripture has for us and enjoy what I was learning about in school and not have to be worried that all this stuff was happening. And so that's what we're doing. We're asking and answering the questions that God wants us to ask and has the answers for. We're going to read the text closely. We're going to read the whole text. I've never done anything like this. It could be an hour long. It could be 15 minutes. I'm usually pretty optimistic, which means it's going to be longer than I assumed. <laughs> we'll go fast. It's important to ask the questions the Scripture is asking. Because we get all this stuff handed to us. We get all this, this, this different thoughts and interpretations handed to us from different people. There was a famous bishop named Bishop Usher who lived in the medieval era. And he tried to calculate the ages and the years. And he said, okay, uh, Genesis 1 happened 6,000 years ago, right? And so you have to import that over all this. And it just becomes a mess. We're asking the questions what the text wants us to ask. And we're listening to the answers that the text wants to give. 
One of my favorite stories about that, this is Augustine. It's not a great picture. Uh, Augustine from Africa, one of the greatest minds the church has ever had, even though I disagree with him a bunch. I recognize his genius. And when asked what God was doing before creation, his answer was creating sticks to whack people who ask such dumb questions. Right? <laughs> Which is a funny way of saying, like, no, it's not, the, the, the text has no interest in telling you that. Let's ask and answer the questions that the text has for us. And I go, okay, great. I mean, you didn't have to be so rude about it. You could have said it nicer, but uh, that's his answer of like, let's listen to what the text has to say. So let's jump into it. Genesis 1, 1 through chapter 2, 3. We'll go quick. We might not read every word, but it'll be up there on the screen. How does the Bible begin? Who knows? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens isn't where God lives. Heavens is just a Hebrew word for sky. And the earth is just uh, not the globe. It's for dirt. And the earth was without. Why does it say without? It's unordered and uninhabited. That's what it is. The word was without form and was void is what it says. This phrase rhymes in the Hebrew. It's to'u vavo'u. It rhymes. This is the problem in the text. This is what the, the author wants us to know. This is the big problem, is that there's knowing there, and everything's unordered, and unordered and uninhabited. When there's no order and there's no purpose, this is chaos. This is chaos for the biblical author. Unordered and uninhabited, this is chaos. And it was dark over the deep sea, and God's Spirit hovered over the waters. And the great thing about this, we get God's Spirit, the word here for spirit is, is ruach. It, it means breath, or it means wind, or it means spirit. It is that invisible energy of God. The word hovered here is like a, is like a, a, a mother bird hovering over its eggs to keep it warm. Something is going to be birthed. This is, the, this is what's going on here. Christians look at this and they see baptism, right? The spirit hovers over the waters and something's birthed. This is what's going on in creation. And then we get all the days. And just before we jump into the days, what I want you to know is that God orders the space first, days one through three. He, he creates the space, and then he fills them. Because remember what the problem was? It was unordered, and it was uninhabited. And so for the days one through three, he's going to order it, and then in the days four through six, he's going to make it inhabited. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, it's, it's beautiful to see this picture of Genesis 1. There is not a single word that is out of place. It is this be- beautiful poetry that describes to us what's going on in this creation. Day 1, and God said, let there be light. Hey, you got it. God said. The first thing the author of Genesis wants us to know is that God, it is no effort at all for God to create. That's how powerful God is. God does it with a word. Creates out of nothing with simply a word. Christians said that that's right where Jesus is, the said part. Because in the beginning, John chapter 1 tells us, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and nothing was created that wasn't created without Jesus. And so that, we see the Father and the Son right away. And let there be light. Light is created before any objects are created. It is the divine light. It is light that comes from God alone, and it is created. So the light appeared, and God saw that it was good. Yeah. It separated light from day. Uh, But darkness doesn't disappear. And God names stuff. 
He names the light day and the darkness night. We love to name stuff. We name all kinds of stuff. My first car's name was Rose. I named it. I don't know why its name was Rose. It was like an older car to me. And so it kind of reminded me of like a grandma car. And so I named it Rose. Uh, We love naming stuff. Boats, pets, all kinds of stuff. In ancient times, to be without a name was that you, you were no thing. You were a thing that was no thing. And so it is so important that God is naming stuff. Not only is God creating it, but God is bringing it into existence by giving it names. And every day begins with God said, and every day ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Day two. And God let there be a dome in the middle of the waters. This is where things get a little tricky for us because the world doesn't look the same as what they thought the world looked like. So God creates uh, this. Hey, I spent some time doing this. Let's, let's do this. Here's my blackness. And so first God creates some light. Oh, man. You're going to have to erase better than that. Do I have something to help me with that? I do. So God creates light that exists from his own being and self outside of these elements. Hey, look at this. God creates light. And then what happens is that God creates an expanse in the dome. Here is what the early uh, believers thought the world looked like. So we got light. You guys going with me on this? This is all water. This is what they thought. And God separates the waters. Did I go back? God separates the waters and creates a dome so that there is water above and below, which is not how we uh, view the world, but totally makes sense because it's blue up there too. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay. So, so far, that's where we are. There's a dome in the middle of the waters. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened that way, and God named the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Day three. So, see what we've done. He's, he's ordered the, the, the realm of time. He's created day and night and gave us light, day one. Day two, he created the sky and made uh, their expanse in here. He's ordering the realms. Remember, day three, he's going to order something else. Let the waters under the sky come together in one place so that dry land can appear. And that's what happened. And God named the dry land earth. And so I don't know how you want to do this, but there's, a, there's like a mountain now, and there's some, there's some dry land up in here. He's creating a new realm, a new place. He's ordering it right now. And God saw how good it was. And then there's an act of bonus creation. This is going to be important. But right away, as soon as the land pops up, all kinds of seeds and plants come. And so we, we start getting a fruited place. And there are these great trees. You get it. All these plants pop up. 
and the ancients loved seeds. This is the way God was going to continue this. Everything had seeds uh, without getting too gross. Plants had seeds and animals had seed, uh, the male ones, and also male humans had seed. Yay? And this is how they believed the world existed. And it carried on itself. And there was evening and there was morning, and God saw that it was so good. So he's created the realms. He's created time. He's created sky, and he's created earth and sea. Now he's going to fill them. That's what's going on. In day four, God is going to fill these places. And so God said, we see Jesus right there, let there be lights in the dome of the sky. He's filling, he's filling these orders. Let there be lights in the dome of the sky that separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. There will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and the two great lights. It never says sun and moon. These were worshipped in most cultures. And so our author leaves them nameless so that people aren't confused. But what the author wants us to know is that God made it. Through his word, he speaks the stars into existence. He speaks the sun into existence. There is no God of sun. There is no God of moon. There is only God. And God made all of those with just a word. According to our biblical author, here's where the stars go. There's still water up here, y'all. And the sun. And the moon's over here. Is there a man on the moon? The bad emoji. And they ruled over the day in darkness, and God saw how good it was. What's the last line we say with me? There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Day five. God's going to fill now. He's going to have inhabited another zone. So God said, let the water swarm with living things and let the birds fly above the earth in the dome of the sky. In the ancient view, birds and fish looked very similar. They had fins or wings. They glided through their, their respective regions. And so God's making them on, on the same day. So now you got birds, which if you've ever done it, it's just a little M, happy little birds. And you got fish down here right? And also what else? Great sea monsters. I don't know how to draw a sea monster. It looks like a worm, I think, with maybe some spikes or something. I don't know. If you have a question about sea monsters, let me know. Sea monsters. One of the reasons why there's sea monsters is because almost every tradition believed that the waters of the sea were chaotic. And, and, and represented evil of some kind, and that there were gods down there that would fight the other gods up here. And what our author wants you to know, at the very least, that whatever is down here, God made it. God put it there. It might be dangerous. You should have reverential awe for the things that are down there, which is why I don't like to go into water where I can't see, because seaweed scares me. Uh, but the author's trying to tell you that whatever you believe about this, God said it and it's there and there are no other gods but God alone and God put it there. Yeah? Uh, God saw how good it was and then God blessed them. This is the first blessing. Be fertile and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. God is giving creation the power to create. Ongoing. Say it with me. There was evening and there was morning, and that's the fifth day. Day six, 
And God said, let the earth produce. What produces? The earth. God is giving power of creation to creation itself to produce. But God's the one who says it. We don't worship the earth. The earth isn't another God. God said to do it. Every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, all this stuff, every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, every kind of creature that crawls on the ground, and God saw how good it was. And then there's a bonus creation. Remember chapter 3? There was a bonus creation. It was the plants and the fruit and the flowers. On day 6, which is Friday in the week, which is my, my favorite joke I ever came up with, is that this is why humans love Fridays, because we were created on Friday. God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so they may take charge of everything, birds, livestock. And then we get our first real poem of Scripture. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. All of us. So humanity is the word Adam, ha-Adam, the human. Inside of that humanity is both male and female. Next week, when we get to chapter 2, we'll see that the guy gets the word human for his name, and Eve has to get a different name. But ultimately, in Genesis 1, what God wants you to know is that we are created equal before God, representing God with this thing in us called the divine image, the image of God in the Latin, we would call it the Imago Dei. You have a divine spark in you. You are different than the rest of creation. You are the pinnacle of creation because you are created on the last day, and you are the last thing created. And there's something about us that makes us look like God. And they didn't know it then, but on our side of history, we can see that Jesus comes in that form, and we get to look like Jesus in a real way. And Jesus teaches us what it means for, uh, to be truly human and teaches us who God truly is. And God blessed them. This is the second blessing. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. We just went over this a few uh, months ago. In this time, being fruitful, multiply meant having babies. Jesus redefines this, and he says being fruitful, multiplying means making disciples. And so we still have the same call to be fruitful, multiply, but we get to do it in different ways. Fill the earth, master it, take charge of it, take charge. Uh, this gets confusing because uh, there's a lot of ways in which people have abused this passage to mean take advantage of, to destroy, to uh, ruin creation. But what we learn about Jesus and what we learn from Jesus is that to rule, to become the leader of something is to become the servant of it. And the greatest leader is the servant of all. And so really God is asking us to steward, to take care of, which we'll see definitely in the next chapter. So we take care of all that. Then God said, I give you all the plants of the earth. Remember that bonus creation? All that's for you. You get to eat it. Do whatever you want with it. It's good. It's food. All the wildlife, everything on the ground, everything that breathes, I give the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. And God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. God looks at God's creation and deems it good because the other creation stories Almost all of them are built out of violence and strife and trauma. We have surviving accounts. So the Babylonian account is that God, the gods created humanity to fight in their endless divine wars. We were soldiers and slaves. There are modern uh, cultures that we exist around now that the, 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 the reason humans exist is because the gods had ancestral relationships and the child born was us and we were awful and we were terrible, and we were cast to the earth because the gods didn't want us. And so in the middle of this, the Jewish people write their creation story, and what they want us to know is that God 
loved it. It's created out of goodness. And he sees all of it and it was good and God doesn't create it out of violence and God doesn't create us to be endless warriors and slaves to the gods. God creates us in God's own image and calls it good and very good. Read it with me. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Last day, day seven. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done And then on the seventh day, Saturday, God had rested. The word rested here doesn't mean that God was tired. It means ceased. It means God was done. And the image that the author of Genesis is painting for us is an image of a temple and a God coming to live in a temple. What would happen was people would build temples with their own hands. And then at the end of building it, they would pray that their God would come and dwell in their temple. And that usually took seven days. It was a coronation ceremony. It took seven days for that God to inhabit that temple. And so what this author is describing to us from ancient Near East symbols is that God created God's own temple. Creation. This holy place with us as God's holy co-workers in this beautiful creation. And at the end of the seventh day, God comes not from being tired, but comes to rest, to abide, to dwell in the temple that God had created. So God rests from all the work that he had done, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work of creation, and this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. That's it. That's what we got going on. Seven days, creation, God takes it, makes it, and invites us into it with him. It's a beautiful picture of what God has intended for us and for all of creation. Maybe not, this is not a great picture, but I think you get it, what's going on here. This is their view of the world, which isn't the same as ours, right? And the reason why I think this isn't as important to reconcile with the story we have is because the author is trying to tell us the story, which I mentioned The author isn't telling us how the house is built. The author is telling us how the home is built and why the home was built. If you came to my house for dinner, which I hope you do, I hope everybody does, I love having people over, and you asked me, tell me the story of your house, I wouldn't say, well, the lumber was bought at Home Depot. I don't know if it was. I hope not. Uh, Um... And the electrical was installed... I'm not telling, you're not asking me a question about how my house is structured. And that's the question we always put on this text. Is how does, we have fossils from more than 6,000 years ago. Like, the author is trying to tell us the story of how the home is built. And why it was built. And so I would tell you that a year and a half ago, just before the pandemic, we were blessed enough to know somebody who was selling a house and let us buy it before it even went on the market. And it was so helpful for us as we transitioned into corn. That's the story I would tell you. Not, you know, when the concrete was poured and what the name of the contractor was. I don't know. I have no idea. You don't want to know the story anyways. Maybe you do. I don't. I want to know about why, how your house is a home and how it's provided for you and how you got it and what's so exciting to you about it. That's what the author's trying to tell us in this story. Okay, you know how I preach, head, heart, hands. I'm going to let you look at this for a long time, just in case you need a reminder of something to know, something to feel, something to do. I want to know what you think. What does God want us to know? You just heard the whole story. 
You're as smart as I am. Holy Spirit is in you as much as it's in me. What, what, what things do you feel like God wants us to know after hearing that story? Whatever you want to say. If it's silent, I'll tell you my answers. Yeah. Him alone. You guys did send some questions. Awesome. Yeah, God alone created. I think I put that up here. There's one God creator of everything. Great answer. I just typed it. No, I didn't. <laughs> anything else that stands out? I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have anything. Yeah. Totally different than most other creation stories, really genuinely at this time. The Egyptian one, with the, there was a war. The Egyptian one is that there's this, there's, there's this god of chaos, and, and this, the main god comes and tears her apart and scatters her to try to create order out of the chaos. And this is why they think the author says that there's darkness and chaos and God just says to put a dome in the middle of it. God's not tearing everything. God just speaks it in there. Really, God loves it. And, and it's, a, it's a project of, of God's own love. I mean, that's really the answer that any theologian can give about why does God create? Why does God create? We don't, God doesn't need anything. Why did God decide to put anything out here? And the answer is just that God's love overflowed and ended up creating what we have before us today. Here's my answers. Uh, there's one God. This is, what God wants, this is what God wants to know. There's one God, creator of everything. That God exists in a beautiful community called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Christian said right there that the, the Word is Jesus. The, the Father is the one who initiated. The, the Spirit hovers over the waters. And when we get to that first poem right there in 126 through 128, we see... God says, let us make humanity in our image. And who's God talking to? It's a mystery beyond mysteries. One of the scientific answers is maybe there's a, a, a spiritual community of people that God already made. But why would God make us in their image too? That doesn't make sense. Uh, God maybe is talking about to the spirit of God that's hovering over the waters. So we believe that God exists in a beautiful community called the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. It's a mystery the other thing uh, we think, I think that God wants us to know is that no order plus no purpose equals chaos. And you might, that just might be the price of admission for today. If you need to take that home of like, what is going on in my life? Why do things feel so chaotic or in my work life or in my family life? And maybe because at least from this perspective, there's no order, no purpose. Lastly, God created us humans to be co-equal with one another and to be with God in God's holy temple of creation. Really, to be divine royal priests helping God oversee this creation. Because remember, he says, he makes seeds, and he says, let the land produce, and he says, let the waters team. And so he, he builds into creation, uh, creation's own ability to create. And so he invites us into the, 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 the responsibility of stewarding and overseeing it. Again, I think there's a way in which we can hear this story and take the truths of God and not have to be in conflict with what we hear all the time. But ultimately what I want to say is I know beautiful people who follow Jesus, and they believe that this all happened in a literal six days, 6,000 years ago. And I know beautiful people of Jesus who follow Jesus well and who say, this is a story that teaches us theology, and there isn't any contradiction with what we hear about in the fossil records and otherwise. This is one of our nation's top scientists, which, you know, they're not super popular right now. Uh, they get a lot of flack. But his name is Francis Collin. 
Collins. He led the Genome Project forever, which is one of the top uh, positions of science. And he uh, loves Jesus dearly. And his conversion happened in his 30s when he was a practicing physician. And he saw people who followed Jesus, he saw their ability to suffer well, unlike anything else he'd ever seen. And it changed his whole life, brought him to faith. This is my uh, New Testament professor, Dr. Wall. He really is that mean and ornery, but I love him dearly. One of the smartest minds in scripture I've ever met. He's retiring this year. And this is his daughter, the leading evolutionary biologist at the same school. And they lecture together all the time. He finds no issues with the fossil record and the scriptural stories that we have. There are beautiful people that are both sides of this. I'm not here to tell you what to believe when it comes to that. I'm just letting you know that you're not locked in. This is Copernicus, the Copernican revolution. He was like, maybe the earth isn't the center of our solar system. And everyone was like, how dare you? <laughs> He's like, maybe the earth goes around the sun. And they were like, shut up. Actually, he didn't get in that much trouble. He wrote his book, and he was really chill, and he was like, I love the Pope. Please don't hurt me. And the Pope was like, okay. A hundred years later, Galileo was like, that guy was right. We need to listen to him. And they're like, you need to chill out with all that. So then, as he's told to chill out, and the Pope loves him, and the Jesuits, this really smart order of priests, love him. And they're like, could you just be a little quiet? Now, Galileo, everyone treats him like he was a martyr. And he didn't get a good deal. But all the religious leaders of the time loved him and thought what he was saying was brilliant. And he's got his telescope and he's looking at stuff. And he's like, the earth goes around the sun. And they're like, no, the sun goes around the earth. We all saw it. Look, the sun's right here. And he's like, no, 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 I promise you, this is definitely not real. And they're like, okay, but can you be like a little quieter about it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then he goes into his room and he writes this treatise about how dumb the Pope is and how dumb these priests are. And he was like, they're super dumb. And they were like, now we have to kill you. And he's like, no, 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 wait, I'll take it back. This is totally right. <laughs> and so like, since you recanted, we'll put you on house arrest for the rest of your life. He lived another eight years in a house arrest. And then he died of natural causes and old age um, one of my favorite things, and so the, the, they bury him. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Hidden away. And then about 100 years later, they realized that they started realizing they were making a mistake and that he was right. And so they exhumed his body and they were going to move it to a better location because he was deemed a heretic and they wanted to bury him in holy ground. And when he was exhumed, uh, someone stole three fingers and a tooth because that was a thing that people did back then. You could make some sweet money off relics like this. And then they reburied him, and then the Pope asked for the relics back, and it came back. And this is a little gruesome, but not too bad. Uh, his uh, middle finger is on display next to his grave. I just love it. I mean, it's not great for a pastor to, like, enjoy this, but just a constant middle finger to those who <laughs> told him he was wrong. Pope John Paul II, a great pope. Uh, came out in 1992 and he said we were definitely wrong we should not have allowed our interpretation of the story to become more important than what the science is telling us it wasn't that the scriptures said that we had to believe this it wasn't that the, they're not even describing how the house is built they're describing how the home came to be and he said we were wrong we should have listened to them 
uh, he, he's a great saint of the church now. And so uh, I always love it when the church recants. It's usually, you know, 300 years later, but, but they did. What does God want us to feel? Do you guys have anything? What does God want us to feel or experience? If you have one, let me know. I'm going quick. Here's what I got. God wants to feel goodness, which we mentioned a little bit. Unity. Generosity. Prosperity. Not necessarily in finances, but uh, just in the way that God created God's creation to take care of us and have everything we need, all our needs supplied. Dignity. One of those things that comes with that image, being image bearers of God, is that we have this inherent sense of dignity and creativity. That what we see here is a creative God, creative God creatively bringing creation into existence. There are three words for create in the Old Testament. There's one that only God does, and that's what we see in this passage. There's one that any human can do, and then there's one that only women and God can do when they create life, which I love. Uh, Guys, we got left out on that one. But God wants us to be creative people representing uh, being image bearers of this creative creator. But ultimately, I hope we get overwhelmed with a sense of this creation when we hear it, when we see it, and feel what God wants us to feel. There's a thing called the overview effect. When astronauts go into space and they see the earth for the first time from that vantage point, they get overwhelmed Life changes for them. There's documentaries on this. You can watch this. Their life, they feel like, changes in a drastic way. Partly because they see how beautiful it is, but partly because all those problems that we think we have disappear, and all those dividing lines and the ways that we treat people and the ugly ways that we hurt one another, all that seems to disappear. And they are changed. There are multiple astronauts that have come back and had experiences with the divine and become priests or pastors because it is... Such a unique experience. This shot was taken on Christmas Eve, 1968. It's called Earthrise by, by astronaut William Anders. It is in Time 100's top 100 pictures of all time that shaped her. And as they were coming around the Earth to come home, and it ended up on Christmas Day, NASA said, hey, we're going to let you speak to all the people of the planet as much as you want. They said it is going to be the most human ears that have ever heard a transition in the history of the planet. And you get to speak to them. Christmas Day, 1968. And they said, what do you want us to say? You got anything for us? And they were like, just make it appropriate. Like, don't make it inappropriate. There's going to be kids watching. And he's like, that's all you have? Like, there's no, no one wrote a speech for us. We're like trying to run a bunch of like machines. We're like trying not to die up here. And so they racked each other's brain to try to figure out what they were going to say. And they came up with one thing. as a rounding earth to come home out of the dark side of the moon. And they saw the earth rise. And here's their audio. We are now approaching lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. 
They had to figure out what to say. This is seven months before Buzz Aldrin takes steps foot on the, on the moon. This is one of the most important moments of history. And what they wanted to say was Genesis chapter 1. This is what overwhelmed them when they saw this picture. And the only thing they could come up with was God's scripture about God's good creation. And that's what they wanted to convey to us, the goodness of God. And that's what I hope you take away from this. I hope you get a little overwhelmed by the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the unity that God invites us into. What does God want us to do? And then we'll be wrapping up. God wants us to fill the earth. That's directly in the passage. God wants us to rule over or take care of creation, which is something often neglected. God wants us to take up our rightful places as divinely royal priests. This is what he really is. This is the picture that's being created. If God is building God's own temple and coming to rest in it, and God is inviting us as, as the image bearers of this temple, then you are a royal, divine priest that is marked with what God looks like and acts like, and God wants you to take up your place in that. God invites us to cease and to rest in a real way. I'll end uh, this point with one of my favorite quotes from Gregory of Nyssa, an old ancient church father, one of the Cappadocian fathers. One who is made in the image of God has the task of becoming who they are. You are this stuff already. This is what God has made you to be. It's our job to live into that. Yeah? Where's Jesus in all this? I think it's important when we're reading the Old Testament to talk about this. We see Jesus in the said part. God said. The Christians believe that Jesus is the word of God, the mind of God. Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so when God creates light, really, we believe as Christians that this is Jesus entering into the cosmos. Uh, when God says, let's make humanity in our image, we think the, the Trinity is talking to itself here. The hour, we, God is talking in God's own beloved community and figuring out how to make humanity and wants us to be like God. Uh, Adam, the Christians will go on to say that, yeah, there was the first Adam, and we'll get into all the problems of Adam, that humanity, but Jesus is the second Adam, the one to show us what humanity really looks like, and ultimately Jesus redefines what rule over means and rest means. Uh, Jesus defines those things, which we can get into, we don't have time today, you can ask it if you want. I'm going to answer some of these questions, and then we'll wrap it up and be on our way. Hey guys, it went longer than I thought. Great. So we talked about how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, and, someone, and I said heavens is just the word for sky. Um, and someone says, so is that where God lives, or is it somewhere else? Great question. And I'll just tell you briefly. So uh, there's a couple levels to heaven in this old ancient view. They believed that, like, this is where birds lived and the stars lived. They believed in this water is where, uh, like, uh, evil spirits lived, not great. And then they believed that God lived up, up here somewhere. But Jesus has come to reveal to us uh, that God isn't up because the earth isn't flat, you know. 
there's a there's a globe to this, and so there's no up. You know what I mean? There's there's a lot of directions on a 360 globe, and so the Christians came to believe that there is that heaven. It, it really is. The Celtic Christians would say six inches from us, right? That there's a there's a thin veil that that covers all of this, and God is this close to us, in a sense. And so God doesn't live up here. Though that was what was believed for a long time. God. Colossians tells us that, uh, that Jesus sustains everything, that dwells in everything. Great question. Uh, Greek word for sea monsters. I don't know. It was Hebrew. I was, I was studying Hebrew, and I forget what it is. Uh, so the King James Version translates it dragons. I'll look that up for you. Is everything a vegetarian? Uh, That's the theory. Certainly humans were. um, They think so. And they think that's what will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes back and and brings new creation fully and finally into its place that we'll all be vegetarians again, which I'll have to let Jesus make sense for me because I'm going to miss a lot of things. (laughs) I'm going to miss... You know what I mean? Like some bacon or some hamburgers. Maybe they have some really good vegetarian hamburgers. That's my... But yeah, that, that, that's the theory, but we don't know. That, that, um, that's what I want to tell you. Yeah, somebody just commented that there was order and intentionality in his creation. I think someone was answering the question of what we uh, know, and that's exactly right and that no order and no purpose is chaos. Um, someone, where do you go when you die? Oh, man, you guys are asking the good stuff. Uh, I think, uh, and, and this will be my last question. Um, so we're not going up, right? There's no up on a globe. Uh, but uh, if, I think if we were to die soon, before Jesus comes back, we get to go into this thin space with God, the command center of the whole universal operation. This is where we think people go when they die. We go to heaven to be with God, for those of us who follow Jesus. But the grand story of the Bible is that God is going to remake all of this, and he's going to smash together heaven and earth with a new heaven and a new earth called new creation, and our, every Christian's ultimate belief is that God is going to give us new bodies that never die or never get sick or never spoil, rot, or fade. And we will get to walk again on solid ground with bodies that can do things that are wild. Ultimately, it's going to look like what Jesus looked like when he came back on Easter morning, which he ate food. They were able to touch him, but he also could walk through walls. My kids are like, can we fly? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Jesus, I, Jesus ascended on Ascension Day. And they're like, this is going to be sweet. So if you die before Jesus comes back, you get to be in God's home with God in the spirit realm. But at the end of creation, God's going to create a new garden, and it's going to be uh, indestructible, and we get to be with God there. What does God want us to know? That there is one God who revealed, uh, who, there is one God revealed to us as a beloved trinity who creates everything, including and especially us. God wants us to feel Uh, He desires for us by our divine image and nature to be unified with God and partakers of the goodness that God has for us. 
And what God wants us to do is be God's image on the earth as co-rulers with God over creation, all while enjoying the resting in, in our creator and creation. And instead of just saying, go do that, uh, I would love for you to take this prayer and I'll post it on social media. I'd love for you to be praying this this week. Creator God, help me to be awake, appreciative, and available to everyone I interact with today. Very simple. Take you 30 seconds. You could pray it on your way to work. If you can't tell, it's head, heart, hands, right? Awake, heart, appreciative, available, something to do. But just a way that we can open our eyes to who God has made us to be and what God has called us to do in this creation. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your picture of this creation. Would you overwhelm us with your sense of goodness and beauty and love? And we will do our best to keep our eyes and ears open to the ways in which you want us to be your divine royal priest, your image bearers filling the earth and to help us to be good stewards of your creation. Help us to figure out what all that means. Because we don't know. We don't have very good pictures of it, except for Jesus, your son. So help us to figure out what it means, what this means. Just make it real, tangible. It's kind of ethereal. It's kind of poetry. It's kind of a story. It's kind of old. Would you help us to make it real in our lives? And Father, now as we come to a time of communion, a time of taking from your your cup, and your plate. Would your Holy Spirit meet us here and give us spiritual nourishment so that we can move forward in that journey of being in awe of who you are, of being close to you as your image bearers and filling the earth as your divine royal priests. Table Church, would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Titus is going to put it on the screen and we're going to use trespasses today saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.